What if I could share with you the worst day of my professional life, without fear of judgment or ridicule, and without loss of respect? Could we learn together from my experience? Case Matters, a podcast series created for all Australian dental practitioners, intends to do just that. To create a shared experience where all points of view are explored to help empower safe practice. Hello, my name's Dr. Annalene Weston, dental legal consultant at Dental Protection, and I'm going to guide you through today's case entitled, You Killed My Tooth. You may have heard us talk in the past about the pivotal role consent plays in contemporary dental practice. You may also have heard us say that consent underpins many of the claims dental protection manages. Cast your mind back to some previous Case Matters podcasts. Did consent feature as a key issue? Likely, it did. Consent issues can present themselves in many forms, perhaps a misremembered conversation, a form a patient didn't understand, or maybe even didn't sign. Today's case, however, considers a case of consent in its purest form, that being the complete absence of any conversation of consent. As ever, there were some conflicting views and opinions in this matter, but which view is correct? All of them, or just some of them? And is there such a thing as the right point of view in this at all? Or could it perhaps be that everyone is a little bit right and a little bit wrong? We'll hear from the people involved and also look at the final outcome to see which lessons can be learned. Mr. Sprigg presented to Dr. Dillon as a new patient. Let's hear from him. I have a dentist I see overseas as I travel regularly to see my family. COVID has made it hard to travel as I usually would, so I needed to find a local dentist. I chose Dr. Dillon as many friends see him and speak very highly of him. A timely reminder, perhaps, that word of mouth remains a valuable source of referral and critical to our reputation. Dr Dillon saw Mr Sprigg for a consultation. Mr Sprigg presents as a reasonably healthy older gentleman, albeit somewhat overweight, and taking some medications. He has sleep apnea diagnosed by a sleep physician and is successfully using a CPAP. He is on medications for his blood pressure and cholesterol and takes metformin for type 2 diabetes, which seems to be managed well in this way. Extraoral examination revealed bilateral crepitus of his TMJ, so I do need to take note of that. Intraorally, Mr. Sprigg has a well-maintained dentition with a high restorative burden. His posterior teeth are all heavily restored with either amalgams or full coverage indirect restorations. Mr. Sprigg advised me that his regular dentist is in the process of replacing his old amalgams with crowns, which ties in with what I can see. I can, however, see significant cracking around all the old amalgams, with discoloration associated with these cracks, especially in the 14, 1-5, 3-4, 3-7, and 4-6. I would suggest these teeth would be the next to be considered for crowns. The x-rays of these teeth are unremarkable, but do show generalised loss of bone. His periodontium is in fair condition, with some areas of 5mm clinical attachment loss, but no evidence of active disease and certainly manageable in my hands. As the x-rays do not demonstrate any active caries, I advised Mr Sprigg that a clean and scale was required, and there was no other urgent treatment unless the cracks became symptomatic. Having heard Dr Dillon's examination findings, do you believe that this approach is appropriate? Do you think he should be recommending an active management approach to these cracked teeth and old amalgams instead? 
And as this is a Case Matters podcast, you know something's amiss. But which red flags, if any, would be apparent to Mr. Dillon, or is it too early to tell? Mr. Sprigg had some questions for Dr. Dillon regarding his findings. Dr. Dillon seems like a respectful and intelligent young man, and I trusted him immediately. I knew that my regular dentist wanted to do more crowns for my teeth cracking, so I asked Dr. Dillon for some costings for this treatment in Australia. As I have a health fund and I have never used my loyalty bonus, so the money has just been there sitting waiting for a rainy day like today. It seems reasonable for Mr. Sprick to want to continue with his planned treatment, so I undertook the scale and clean and provided him with the codes for his health fund so he could see his out-of-pocket costs. We planned to crown one four and one five first, then four six, with two four and three seven to be attended to at a later date. I called my health fund to inquire about the codes, and with my usual benefits for my major dental and then my loyalty bonus, having these crowns is cheaper here than overseas, as they will cover nearly all of the cost. I don't want my teeth cracking any further. That's how I lost my other two teeth before and ended up with bridges. I don't want to lose any more if I can help it. I'll call and book in for those crowns now. Dr. Dillon didn't mention the bridge work, so for completeness, Mr. Sprigg has three unit bridges replacing 3.5 and 2.6. Is this important to know? Would this change your plan? Do you think knowing the cause of the tooth loss is important, and if so, for every patient or for just some? It's so nice to see Mr. Sprigg back so soon. He's such a delightful gentleman. I did just have to check his weight with him, as the dental chair in this surgery isn't certified to carry as much weight as the one next door he was in last time. We had a horrible incident last year where a bariatric patient exceeded the safe weight limit, and when I reclined the chair, it judded and the back casing cracked. No one was hurt, but the patient was very upset and embarrassed, and it gave everyone a fright. So I need to protect everyone from this happening. Mr. Sprigg wasn't sure about his current weight, so I asked him to hop on the scale so I could check. Luckily, he's five kilos under the recommended safe weight, so we could get on with the treatment without me having to disrupt the list next door. My associate has an IV sedation list, so needed the extra space of my surgery for the equipment. Anyway, that's all irrelevant, so let's crack on. I don't think I've ever been so humiliated in my life. Dr. Dillon was eyeballing me in a most uncomfortable way, and then asked for my weight. No explanation, he just asked. I was so shocked and embarrassed about this private piece of information, so I said, I don't know. Then he pulled out some scales and weighed me like a prize pig for market. And I couldn't even take off my shoes. He deemed me acceptable and said we could begin. What was the meaning of this? I don't even know. I am very unsettled. Very unsettled indeed. Dr. Dillon's DA Kristen witnessed this interplay. Let's hear from her. I do wish that Dr. Dillon would explain the patient weighing a bit better. I understand why it's important and that he wants to keep people safe. But Mr. Sprigg was so embarrassed. He went bright red. I could tell he was upset and confused. I wanted to reassure him when he sat down, but Dr. Dillon had started talking about the procedure and the moment was lost. I wrote it on a post-it note to alert Dr. Dillon at the time, but I don't think he saw it. 
I'll give him the feedback at the end of the appointment because he's such a caring practitioner and I know he'd want to know it's an area he can improve on. Dr Dillon began to talk through the procedural steps and asked Mr Sprigg if he understood what was happening and why and the risks of the procedure. Still smarting from the shame of the poorly explained pre-procedural weigh-in, Mr Sprigg replied he understood everything from his previous crowns and cracked teeth and would like to start the procedure now, please. Dr Dillon accepted this fact and administered anaesthetic to the upper premolars. As Mr Sprigg had indicated that at the start of the appointment he wanted to proceed with all of the crowns, Dr Dillon also administered an ID block for quadrant four. Impressions were taken for the temporary crowns and then the teeth were cut. The amalgam came out of the 1-5 during the preparation, so Dr. Dillon placed a new one and continued. The procedure was long, and a shaken Mr. Sprigg made his way to reception tired and numb. He was asked for a $1,500 deposit for the crowns. When he offered his health fund card, he was advised that his health fund would not permit the claiming of the crown item numbers until insertion, so to run them through now would be fraud. Luckily, Kristen came out to reception on her way to get some lunch and realised what was occurring. Poor Mr Sprigg is having a tough day. First of all, he thinks we called him fat. And then the procedure took ages as we prepared three teeth, which I don't really know it was what he was expecting today. He's all numb and now Sarah's trying to hit him up for 1500 bucks for something that his health fund is covering 100%. I told Sarah that we could waive the deposit on this occasion. She started to argue a bit but then read the room and realised I had a good reason. So we sent Mr Sprigg home without a deposit and I reassured Sarah that I would explain why to Dr Dylan at lunch. I'm just going to go and grab us both some sushi and a bubble tea because we really need to have a chat about how to best approach the patient weighing issue. He's a good man and I know he wants to do the right thing. He just needs some better words. I'll tell him about the no deposit then. He won't mind. Empowering our staff to give us requisite feedback is a simple and effective risk management tool. Mr Sprigg went back home and finding he was too numb to eat, dozed off in his chair by the window. His daughter woke him for dinner, but Mr Sprigg found his mouth and jaw to be sore and his teeth to be sensitive. He ate little and slept poorly. This discomfort both with his jaw and when eating continued for the next few days. Mr. Sprigg's daughter, Sarisha, knew her dad needed to eat regularly to manage his blood sugar and was becoming increasingly concerned. On day five after the procedure, disaster struck and the 1-4 became exquisitely tender to percussion. Sarisha called Dr. Dylan's rooms, but they were closed on weekends, so she sought an emergency appointment with another dentist. They diagnosed 1-4 with irreversible pulpitis and extirpated the tooth. Downhearted and confused about what was happening, Mr. Sprigg talked to his daughter about his appointment with Dr. Dillon. I told my daughter, I think I have been a foolish man. I wish I had waited until I could see my regular dentist. I put my trust in this young man, but I feel he has judged me and that he just wanted my money. I am very embarrassed to have been hoodwinked by this charlatan. He has killed my tooth. Who knows what other damage has been done? Do you think Mr Spriggs' assessment of the situation is fair and reasonable? Can you understand why he might feel this way? Do you think the Crown treatment proceeded with valid consent in place? And what do you think is going to happen next?
Worn out by days of poor sleep and poor diet, Mr. Sprigg went to lie down. Angry and upset, Sarisha sat at her computer and searched for solutions. One became quickly apparent, that being the option to make a formal complaint on behalf of her father. Each state and territory has a unique name for the regulatory body who first manages complaints, and in case matters we simply refer to this as APRA. To whom it may concern, my elderly father has been treated appallingly by his dentist and I believe you need to investigate this. When my father saw Dr. Dillon for a checkup, he had no pain and no problems. Dr. Dillon said he found so-called cracking in my father's teeth and frightened him into believing that if he did not have crowns, then the teeth would break beyond repair and he would need to have them removed and have bridges. My father has diabetes and his GP says we should avoid all unnecessary surgeries if we can because his diabetes will affect his healing. So of course my father will try any preventative treatments to avoid surgery. My mother died of sepsis, so we very clearly understand the dangers of poor healing and infections in diabetics. Somewhat conveniently, the crowns needed were almost exactly what the health fund would pay for, although, despite this agreement, Dr Dillon still tried to extort an additional and previously undisclosed amount of $1,500 from my father, who is a pensioner and is on limited funds. When my father tried to use his health fund card, they then accused him of fraud, which was very upsetting. The appointment itself was very traumatic as my father was weighed before he sat in the chair, in case he was too heavy, although his size had not been an issue at his previous appointment. I believe my father was discriminated against, and I would like this bizarre action investigated, please. My father did not know he was having three crowns. He heard them say something had dropped out of his tooth during the procedure, and we now believe this had to be an act of negligence, as after five days of pain and suffering after this botched procedure, my father could take no more. Of course, Dr. Dillon is not there on weekends as he tends to take many days off, and so we saw Dr. Lee. She was wonderful and explained that the crown had killed my father's tooth, and that this is a known risk, and that should have been disclosed as part of the pre-treatment conversation. Needless to say, the only pre-treatment conversations revolved around my father's weight, something he is highly sensitive about, so was very upsetting to him. Then Dr. Lee told us the tooth could get infected from the dead nerve. My father cannot risk an infection, and I am disgusted that Dr. Dillon did not give him antibiotics to protect him and his health, so now we have expensive extra treatments my father cannot afford, and a fear of further issues and infection. As an elderly diabetic, he also cannot afford to be missing meals, regardless of what view Dr. Dillon may have formed on my father due to his size. This is of great concern to us. I respectfully ask you to investigate. One, why my father did not know his tooth could die if it is so commonplace. Two, who will now pay for this extra treatment? Three, why Dr. Dillon felt the need to belittle and shame my father about his weight. Four, the billing practices of Dr. Dillon. They accused my father of fraud while trying to extort extra money that was not on the quote. Thank you for looking into this for us and other vulnerable families. Regards, Sarisha Sprigg. Complaints to the regulator from family members or carers are commonplace. And, as in this case, they can often occur without the patient's knowledge. Dr. Dillon received the notification of the complaint from APRA before the crowns had arrived from the laboratory for insertion. 
He called down to protection for some advice, and I'll hand over to the case manager who assisted Dr. Dillon in this matter, Anita, to outline what was discussed. Dr. Dillon was understandably confused and upset to have received the notification made by Mr. Sprigg's daughter. While admittedly at first it was difficult for him to move past areas of the complaint where he felt there were misunderstandings or misrepresentations of the events, he quickly was able to hone in on areas where he felt he had let himself and Mr. Sprigg down. We talked through the difficulties caused by weighing Mr. Sprigg when he arrived. While this was a sensible step on consideration of the previous issue with the weight limit of the chair, Dr. Dillon acknowledged that his handling of the situation was less than ideal. Likewise, the confusion regarding the payment at the front office was quickly acknowledged. Dr. Dillon explained that Kristen, his DA, had already given him some feedback on some of these issues, and they had already talked about amending their existing protocols to find some better ways of managing these discussions with patients, while still adapting the approach on a case-by-case basis. The bigger issue to grapple with was the loss of vitality of Mr. Sprigg's tooth. As regrettably, This common outcome of crown treatment, particularly with a cracked tooth in play, had never been discussed. Nor had Dr. Dillon taken PAs of the teeth or vitality tested them prior to treatment. Simply put, Dr. Dillon could not evidence the vitality status of the tooth prior to commencement of treatment. Nor did he have the requisite pre-treatment conversation of consent. Dr. Dillon explained that he had relied on Mr. Sprigg's pre-existing knowledge of cracked teeth and crowns, which he believed to be of a high level and certainly sufficient for Mr. Sprigg to consent to treatment. He did acknowledge, however, that he ought to have had the conversation with Mr. Sprigg himself and that failing to do so had essentially meant he did not have valid consent in place. He understood the difficult position this placed Mr. Sprigg in. A further issue he had was that Mr. Sprigg was due to have his crown cemented the next day. We recommended that Dr. Dillon call Mr. Sprigg to ask if he still wanted to attend, if he preferred to defer, or if he wanted Dr. Lee to cement the crowns after checking with the APRA case manager that they were comfortable with this approach. I was very embarrassed when my daughter told me that she had made a complaint, and a little cross too. I am not an old man who has lost his senses, but I knew she has a kind heart and that she was worried. If I had known it was Dr. Dillon calling, I would not have picked up the phone, but I'm glad I did. He apologised for his bad explanations about the weighing and the money and the pain I was having once my tooth had been cut for the crown. So I said to him, you broke my tooth when you did the crown cutting because I heard you say to Kristen it broke and now it is dead. You killed my tooth, Dr. Dillon. I asked him what we do next and he said, that it would actually be best if my daughter and I attended together to talk everything over. It is appropriate that Dr. Dillon contacted ARPRA before contacting Mr. Sprigg, as there are many circumstances in which ARPRA expressly state you cannot contact the patient. Counterintuitive though it may seem to discuss Mr. Sprigg's treatment with him, remember, he's currently in three temporary crowns with one tooth extirpated and he's not going to be able to stay like this for long. A continuity of patient care and treatment needs must always be a paramount consideration. Naturally, Dr. Dillon and Mr. Sprigg were both incredibly apprehensive about seeing one another. Anita helped Dr. Dillon prepare for the conversation and work through some possible solutions with him. Mr. Sprigg attended with his daughter as planned, and Dr. Dillon sat with them and talked through their concerns, answering each one in turn. 
He apologised, and together they agreed on the path forward. Dr Dylan was excellent. He listened, and then he explained. He said sorry, and he gave me lots of choices. I am going to talk them through with Sarisha and then let him know. I will let him finish my crowns, I think. But I might get Dr Lee to finish my root filling. There were so many things I did not understand. But Dr Dylan took the time to explain them all and said any failing was his, not mine. Maybe I'm not such a foolish man after all. Dad is over the moon that the doctor took so much time with him today. The cynic in me says he should have taken that time before he upset Dad, but I can't deny he has been fair and honest. Dad wants Dr Dylan to place the crown still, and I can understand why. Also, Dr Dylan has offered to place one of the crowns for free, so the health fund money can be used for the root filling with Dr Lee. This feels fair to us, and I will be withdrawing my complaint to APRA. Importantly, Mr Sprigg is happy and is going to get the treatment he needs. Regretfully, however, as APRA had accepted the complaint, they will still need to investigate it despite it having been withdrawn. The fact that complaint has been withdrawn and an agreement made will, however, reflect well on Dr Dillon. On assessment, APRA had the following to say. While Dr Dillon has conducted himself well in the management of the complaint and the complaint has been withdrawn, with Mr Sprigg happy to continue under Dr Dillon's care, the absence of valid consent cannot be ignored. Dr. Dillon has an obligation to ensure that valid consent is in place before proceeding with treatment. This cannot be delegated to others, nor can Dr. Dillon rely on conversations that Mr. Sprigg has had with previous practitioners to form the basis of his consent. The board would like to draw Dr. Dillon's attention to section 4.2 of the Code of Conduct, Informed Consent, which states that in part that Informed consent is a person's voluntary decision about healthcare that is made with knowledge and understanding of the benefits and risks involved. Good practice includes that you provide information to patients in a way they can understand before asking for their consent. Give the patient enough time to ask questions and make informed decisions. Inform your patient of the benefits as well as the associated costs or risks when referring them for further investigation or treatment, which they may wish to clarify before proceeding, and document consent appropriately, including considering the need for written consent for procedures which are of higher risk or may result in serious injury or death. The board has formed the view that Dr. Dillon did not undertake these critical steps, and consequently it cannot be said that the treatment was provided with consent which is a critical component of care. On consideration of the notification and Dr. Dillon's response, the board has formed a reasonable belief that the way Dr. Dillon practices the profession is unsatisfactory. The board proposes to manage this by imposing conditions on Dr. Dillon's registration. We also issued Dr. Dillon with a caution. Dr. Dillon is to undertake six hours of education regarding informed consent with a board-approved educator. The conditions will be visible on Dr. Dillon's registration and must be completed within six months. Does this outcome surprise you or do you feel it's fair? Let's hear how Dr. Dillon feels. 
This has been terrible. I honestly thought that my outcome was going to be worse, as I know that consent is really important, and I cannot believe I just took it as read and didn't even talk with Mr. Sprigg about the things that could go wrong, such as loss of vitality. I'm also a bit sickened that my desire to keep patients safe regarding the weight certification on my second chair has caused a patient of mine so much upset. I'm starting to think that I need to bite the bullet and invest in a new chair. Now's not a great time for me to be purchasing new equipment as COVID has hit my clinic hard, but I have proved that I can't have the required conversation as well as I should, and I hate the thought of offending and upsetting my patients. I can't believe I never thought how it would make them feel. My behaviour has been inexcusable. I'll be honest, I'm relieved that the review of my crown preps and records came out clear, because I don't know how I would feel if my work was poor too, but that doesn't make me feel any less ashamed of myself. I've got to do better than this. I'm actually really looking forward to the courses I've booked on, and I'm weirdly grateful that I have gone through this now. When it's all been cleared up, explained, and put right with the patient, rather than I continue and really upset someone regarding the chair capacity and affecting their mental health. Thank you, Dr. Dylan. I'll hand back over to Anita for some final words. Thank you, Annalene. There was a lack of consent in this case. That cannot be overlooked or ignored. The consequence to Dr. Dylan's registration could have been far more severe. However, his insight and contrition in the responses and his management of the complaint went a long way with APRA, and consequently his outcome was much less severe than it could have been. The bariatric issue is an interesting one, as there are an increasing number of patients who are creeping close to the certified weight limit of dental chairs. We would encourage all listeners to find out what their chair limit is, and also to consider locating the nearest bariatric chair if they find their certified limit to be lower than they expected. Of further note, the Code of Contact has been recently updated with a new version released on the 22nd of June 2022. We would encourage all dental practitioners to take time to review this. Thank you for that, Anita, and thank you all for listening. I hope you enjoyed listening to this edition of Case Matters, and we'd love to hear from you regarding what you will take away from this case. The cases discussed in Case Matters are presented as an educational aid for dental protection members and to act as a risk management tool. They're based on issues arising in dental protection cases in Australia, and some facts have been altered to preserve confidentiality. If you like dental protection podcasts and you'd like to hear more, please subscribe and leave a review.